Hey, this is James Cratch, Giants beat writer for the Star Ledger and NJ.com, and you are listening to JK, but seriously, Real Football Injury Talk. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Heads and Tails Fantasy Football Injury Report. Uh, I'm here with my, my co-host, Josh Boyd, and sporting a, a fresh new Heads and Tails sweatshirt. Um, unfortunately, they're not for sale. It's super comfy, uh, though. It's like a one-and-done one and uh, kind of deal. Uh, but anyway, uh, we have a bunch of injuries to talk about this week, but uh, bef- before we get into last Monday night's game, which we did a whole ep- you know extra podcast episode for Week 13 Extended, if you want to go go back and listen to that one, uh, we'll, 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 talk, we'll list off all the, the major injuries for Week 14 of the 2017 season uh, right now. So, uh, Josh... Let's start off with uh, Alvin Kamara running back for New Orleans with a concussion from Thursday night. Yeah. Thursday night's game. So Thursday night, um, there's this was. Uh, it feels like every other week that Thursday night games either have no injuries or one team has a lot of injuries. It just like we said, there's no stats that back up the Thursday nights have have more injuries. But I'm uh, starting to become less of a believer. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's true either. Um, and there hasn't been anything to prove it. But uh, the Saints did get a couple guys hurt on Thursday night and the one the main the biggest one was Alvin Kamara uh their r- rookie running back um huge fantasy implications I think he's he's probably on I would say 90 percent of teams that he's on in fantasy football made the playoffs um made the fantasy playoffs so he went out in the first drive of the game with a, a helmet to helmet hit on like a screen pass um safety came up and got him Helmet, helmet. He like he, he hit him in like the, the logo, like the Saints logo, side like of the, the head, side yeah. of the helmet. And you can tell we have the video, the link up. You can tell right off the like as soon as he gets hit, he like tries to catch his balance almost. Something's off, yeah. Yeah, you can tell he's he he was a little. And as always, we have the video up on on the show notes. So yeah. go over to headsandtails.org um, backslash injury report. So uh, yeah, you can see the video of that. Um, but he came off. He came off the field right away. Uh, so this was. I, I thought it was pretty noticeable. Um, and he went into concussion protocol and didn't come back for the game. So he missed. Like I said, that was the first drive of the game, um, and he didn't come back. So he's been him and the combination of him and Mark Ingram this year has been pretty special for the Saints and probably one of the biggest reasons why they've had so much success. They've kind of used him as they used Darren Sproles when um, he was in his prime with, with the Saints. So it was a it was a big Im- impact specifically on last night's game or uh, Thursday night's game. I haven't seen or heard uh, any status update for him going forward. Um, like I said, they, they ended up losing the game to the Falcons. It's probably a game that they might – um, they have, definitely have a better chance of winning, and if not, a lot of people said they probably would have won. I mean, he had he had three catches for thirty yards on the first drive, and one carry for ten yards. So he had forty yards in the six on plays, four touches, yeah. yeah, on six plays that he that, that he was in on the first drive. So obviously, he makes a huge difference. But um, with the NFC, we talked about the NFC uh, at length last week on Monday about how close the top of that uh, conference is, fighting for home field advantages and buys and all that stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see a status update uh, on him going forward uh, for the last couple of weeks. Just with like with one that was so it didn't seem like there was he didn't come back in the game. He didn't try to come back in the game, and he, and they and they said he was out pretty quickly. So I don't know if that means it was a bad concussion or his just symptoms came right away. Um, so we'll interesting to see if he if he plays this week and, and going forward here the next couple of weeks for for, for Kamara. 
And then we got a slew of quarterback injuries, starting with Carson Wentz. And if you're a football fan and you haven't heard about this one, you've yeah. been living under a rock. Um, quarterback for Philadelphia has been confirmed that he has a torn ACL. Um, yeah, so this contact injury. Yeah. I, oh, so right before I came here, I was watching NFL Network, and Ian Rappaport said that some people are thinking that it wasn't actually a contact injury. You have to – so if you, you really have to slow it down. And at first they were saying it was as his left knee, but I think it was I think it was his right knee. Um, but so if you – and they showed the replay, and they were showing it in like super, super slow motion. And it kind of looks like when he plants to dive into the end zone that he plants off of his right – onto his right leg and like pushes forward. And it kind of looks a little wobbly. But I don't. I, I I can't tell if it's just yeah. I, I, if it's just so slow and they're trying to pick out. But he got he got basically he got sandwiched and he got a shoulder to it looked like the quad knee area and there was a guy right on his back that was hitting him the uh, forward and I don't think he saw the I think he saw the corner coming but I didn't think he expected as big of a hit as it. It, it it was his left knee as a, it was. a correction. Yeah, yeah. That's what I that's what I thought at first. Yeah. So what what I saw from that play was yeah, exactly like you said. He kind of got sandwiched, almost like one person got his lower half of the knee, the other person got the other top yeah. of the knee, and just kind of like bent the wrong way. And I actually have a picture or a, a short clip that'll be online of after the play, yeah. he tries to walk off the field, and his leg just kind of gives out in the yeah. same way that it kind of bent. You know, yeah. was bent on you that could, play. You could tell that. Um, that was not a good little sign. one. Yeah. yeah. And I I thought something was wrong right away because so he stayed in the game for more plays and threw a touchdown pass, which is nuts. Um Yeah, you can't be doing that if you're back if your plant foot ACL is uh yeah, is but, the issue. Um but if you watch the touchdown, as soon as he threw the touchdown pass and he was trying to walk off the field, he was like they used to a touchdown pass to put him put him in the lead late in the third quarter, uh in a really big game. And you could tell walking off the field he I think he knew. Um, something that something right, was yeah. wrong. He wasn't celebrating. He wasn't smiling. It was, like, oh yeah, it was nothing. Um, so, but it was, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's very unlucky to have an ACL on a contact play like, like that. I mean, yeah, the, we've the talked all season, are, like it's mostly non-contact for these NFL guys yeah. that, that cause these kind of injuries. Or like, it's either the cuts that are non-contact or like the blowouts that, you're planted and you get hit. So his feet were off the ground. It right. wasn't like his his, his Very feet weird, were yeah. planted in the ground. I gotta I gotta imagine the odds of you tearing anything in your knee without having your feet being planted in the ground are yeah. very very slim. So I, it was just a, just a bad break. I mean, I mean it was a nasty looking hit. It was a clean hit. But what if we talked about all year with quarterbacks? What have you said? What don't happens? freaking run if you don't want to get hurt. Well, don't get yeah. Don't leave the pocket. <laughs> Everything and it's it, it's hard to tell guys don't leave the pocket, especially a guy who's such a freak athlete like Wentz is. Yeah. And he gets inside the five. He's like he scored a touchdown. It got called back because of holding, and that's why he, he stayed in the game. But so it's hard to tell an athlete like that not to use your legs when when you have the opportunity. But when those type of guys when they leave the pocket, it's you're not, game. you're not protected anymore. Yep. And not that these guys are doing it on purpose, but you're a lot more vulnerable. Yeah, this one was definitely like a freak yeah. accident type thing, but either so, way. Well, and going forward for the Eagles, they got Nick Foles is their backup, so he'll play the rest of the year. Um, he's had some success with the Eagles in the past. He came in for Vic when uh, Chip Kelly was there. 
I think that was 2011 or 2012, um, and went eight and three, uh, or eight and two over the and and led them to the playoffs. So um, they're a very very good team, and they have a lot other going on besides Wentz. So it'll be interesting to see how they how um, much they really need him. Well, yeah, how much of a difference he makes, you know. Um, yeah, that's yeah. So so we'll see. It's just it's just sad again. Like we've talked about these quarterbacks, it's tough to it's tough for the league to lose quarterbacks. It's just is he like you want to see you want to see Wentz and I don't know Wentz and golf again in the playoffs, you know, and Wentz and Breeze, Wentz against Cam Newton in the playoffs. Those are like that's what makes the playoff matchups as great as they are when you get those teams is the quarterbacks. So it's just it's un, it's unfortunate that you don't get to see that, and hopefully he'll be back um, in time to start next season. Next season, which preliminary reports are, if the surgery goes well, he will, because um, there's no other damage besides the ACL. So right, it's, it's just the ACL. Uh, another quarterback, Josh McCown. This is a sad one. Uh, quarterback for the New York Jets with a broken hand, and it was an, an emotional press conference for him after the game. Yeah, he was pretty pretty beat up. Um, I. I, th- I felt like I jinxed him. I was talking to uh, my landlord yesterday morning when he, he was over helping us with some snow stuff, and he was a season ticket holder for the Jets. And I was talking up how good Josh McCown was doing this year and how they got to bring him back next year. I mean, coming into the season, everyone was saying the Jets weren't going to win a game. Like, they were being predicted to go 0-16. Um, and McCown, they signed Josh McCown, and he's been their starter, and he's just a tough nut. He was at Tampa before this? He's, this is his eighth team. So he was on Tampa. He's been on – uh, the Browns, Tampa, the Raiders, the Panthers, um, the Cardinals. He's found the most success here, you're saying, with the Jets. Yeah, he was – I mean, I thought he was pretty good with the Browns, but, I mean, for they're, – they're much more bigger problems than him. But he's he's he had, he's had some decent years, but he was playing really well for the for, for the Jets this year. And like I said, he's just a, he's just a tough dude. And you can tell he's like a, he's like a gamer quote-unquote one of those guys that will lay it all on the line um like I said this is his his eighth team and he's 38 years old and um not many not many fans expected much of him coming into the season um or even I don't think many people start thought he would start every game so it's just sad that um he can't finish out the season um, not that they're going to go to the playoffs or anything but uh just for him and it'll be interesting to see if they bring him back next year um to maybe groom a quarterback that they potentially draft uh, early in the top uh, top of the first round of the draft. Because obviously he's a guy that can produce and can play a little bit. Um, so And they have some other pieces around that have um, been producing this year. So I think the Jets might be my surprise team next year. All right. Uh, next quarterback with an injury is Nathan Peterman, quarterback for Buffalo with a concussion. Yeah, so I'm assuming he, it wasn't because of contact with the ground. I in this have game. no <laughs> idea. Couldn't find a picture of it. All I knew, uh, he, he left the game concussion protocol and didn't come back in. Uh, obviously, Tyrod Taylor um, didn't play because he got hurt last week against the Patriots. We talked with, about that with his yeah. knee injury, and he didn't. He was inactive this week, so Peterman uh, got the start for them. And if you didn't see the highlights of the Bills, the Colts at the Bills game, it was a lot of snow. Played in a blizzard, so like a foot of snow. Yeah. Um, and like a full blizzard for full for three hours, so it was pretty funny to see the highlights and guys were lining up off sides and not calling it. Um, I was listening on the radio today. One guy has a radio show on NFL radio that did the broadcast for radio, um, a national broadcast, and he was like, <laughs> the big, the funniest two things were one, 
the scoreboard would say like third and four and the PA would announce this third and four and you could they could see on the field it was like third and eight like the scoreboard wasn't even close to being right <laughs> to what it actually was and if it was if the if any offense got the ball within a half a yard of the first down automatic first down the referees were not bringing the chains out every to, five seconds to measure anything just because it's so because there's no lines so hard so if it it's anytime it was even close first down move the change it's funny <laughs> yeah i went to army navy this this weekend and there was snow in, in philly too not as much snow it's still a pretty good amount of snow though yeah but they did a good job clearing off the lines enough that it really didn't impact the game in, yeah. in that sense and you got two teams that run the ball nine yeah. percent of the time anyway so that's what one of the linebackers they had on uh for the bill said is the first half it wasn't as bad because yeah there was a lot of snow but it was all even across the whole field. It said in the second half, they started trying to clear off the lines. So there was no snow for that half a yard so on like the line. You up more. But right past where they blew it, it was like oh, seven or eight inches of snow. So you're like so, tripping. Yeah, so you're like tripping over snow piles when they're trying to clear off the lines. So um, it, it was pretty interesting. But Peterman left the game with a concussion. Uh, their third string quarterback, Joe Webb, who's been a wide receiver for a lot of his career in the NFL. Imagine this, though. What if like – I'm assuming his his concussion had to have been from a helmet to helmet because like uh, yeah. you have a foot of snow on the ground that's like playing football on a freaking pillow. Yeah, I would have, I would guess too. I don't know for sure. I couldn't find a video of it anywhere, but um, their third string actually came in and they ended up. LaShawn McCoy ran for a touchdown in overtime, and uh, and they ended up winning to stay kind of in the playoff hunt, playoff contention for the Bills. All right, now our next injury has a lot of drama surrounding it. Yeah. Uh, which is also interesting. It's Tom Savage, quarterback for uh, Houston, uh, with a concussion. And there's a lot of controversy surrounding uh, the concussion protocol or lack thereof uh, for this particular injury. But I remember earlier in the season we were commending the Texans for yeah. you know taking three tight ends out with concussions, kind of showing that they prioritize the, the player's health. And then you have this case where it's like, to, to the viewer, very obvious that – he should not be playing football. Yeah. So this is the one to me that there's so we have we have a couple links up on this one. Uh we have the aftermath of the play itself where he is almost in a seizure like like a seizing I I asked some of the docs that I work with if that was a seizure or if that was something else and they said it's hard to to tell but it could have been like a tremor like yeah it's either way there's neurological yeah, dysfunction something. going on yeah so so it's it's obvious when you see that that something is obviously something happened he got hit in the head he's so he's on the ground for five seconds almost like you said almost looks like kind of a semi hands are like semi seizure yeah. yeah so we have the link to that and you can see it we have the link to chris nowinski's reaction to it um and then there's actually a really good article that kind of step-by-step step explain the timeline of everything regarding the events from uh, just uh, Associated Press game recap kind of. So he came out and went into concussion protocol. And I think a drive later was cleared to go back into the game. Um, so he came out, didn't finish the drive, they got the ball back, and he went in. Um, they went three and out. He threw two incompletions, came off the sideline, and then the doctors um, – basically then the doctors pulled him out. And 
and they asked Bill O'Brien after the game, the head coach, and he's based and he's right to an extent where one he probably can't see the actual uh, like the. That the, the aftermath of the, the hit as much. Yeah. They're not going to show it on the big screen. Um, so whether he saw it actually happen or not, one. But two, it's not his job or responsibility. Yeah, nor should it be. To make the decision on if he goes back into the game from a concussion standpoint. Yeah, it's not on him. So it's the doctors who come up and tell, tell him he's out or he's cleared, he can go back in the game. And there's quotes from – his wide receivers, and there's quotes from T.J. Yates, who's the backup a backup quarterback who um, went in and play, ended up playing the rest of the game when they pulled him from the game, um, who, who said uh, when Savage came over the sideline, even right after the hit, he seemed – he was cognizant. He seemed fine. He wasn't groggy. Um, and that's kind of why he passed – I guess that's why he passed protocol. And even they said when he went back in the huddle for the next series, everyone said he was fine. Right. And he seemed fine. I, I think the thing or the, the problem with this one is the fact that he showed obvious signs of neurologic dysfunction, like showing a sign of a concussion, which according to NFL protocol or concussion protocol, that's supposed to be like a no-go. Like if you sh- exhibit any of these XYZ signs, including what Tom Savage did, then regardless of whether you passed the uh, – uh, neurological test anyway, you don't go back in the game. Yeah. That's like something new that came in this year. So I think that's why – and that's why, to that point, I think people were kind of – this was another instance where people questioned the protocol. And they – like, we've read the protocol, and we know what it says. And I'm sure Tom Savage was freaking yeah. out. I'm playing, I'm playing. He's fighting for a job. And that's what he's, And that's what they said. He was trying to – even when they pulled him the second time, he was trying to go back into the game. Yeah, grown-ass man. Um, like, how, how do you, you know – so to me, the bigger—I don't blame the tight the Texans as much for putting him back in the game, based on how they are performing the protocol tests. Um, but to me, the bigger picture, the bigger uh, problem is if he's like you said, if he's allowed to go back in the game after visually seeing signs such as this. There's something wrong with the protocol. You know what I mean? But technically, that's not supposed to happen. So, so someone dropped the ball, and like if you exhibit those kind of signs, like obvious signs of concussion, regardless, you're not supposed to go back in the game because you, you're deemed to have a concussion. But I, I see that's why I think if you go back and you reread the rules, though, like the concussion protocol rules, it's kind of vague. Whereas it. Yes, if you show, I think you automatically have to be pulled off the field to go under more testing. I don't think I'm. I don't think it says that if you show signs, you're automatically out of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yes, so he showed signs, so he had to come out and go through um, the medical blue tent uh, protocol after that. And then once he passed, he's clear to go back in the game. But to me, it's more so what you said or what you think that rule is that needs to be i think that needs to be the rule you know that needs to be the black and white uh rule going forward it just it i think the bigger problem with concussion protocol and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks is the ability for guys um to pass in game right after a hit happens and be cleared to return to the game and then be taken out later for a concussion. And I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to. The NFL stops that. 
I mean, because the signs of of a concussion don't always show up like immediately, as we've kind of seen throughout the season here. Yeah. Um, but it makes the NFL look bad. Okay, this is what a review of no-go criteria is. So if you exhibit any of this, loss of consciousness, confusion, amnesia, I mean, you could kind of see that that thing is a, a loss of conscience or consciousness. Yeah. Do you agree? Like, to me, that's an obvious sign. No, I, I, I agree with you that it's, it's an obvious sign, but I just think the NFL needs to – I don't. I don't. Honestly, I don't know what they like. What? What? What do you think they can do to change concussion protocol, or can you not change concussion protocol um, any more than doing what they do now? You know what I mean? Because it makes the it makes them look. It makes the league look bad, and the teams look bad when a guy takes a hit like that, clears protocol, goes back in the game, only to come out later. But they've. But I think they've done anything right. I. I. I no longer think that the teams are purposely trying to push these guys back in the game. No, yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. I think they're doing everything right, and they're and he's passing protocol, and he's cleared to go back in the game. Right. So maybe you need to add to the no go signs and symptoms because loss of consciousness might be. Those are all very vague. Vague things. Yeah. Like the fencing response, those kind of things. Like that's what the the booth athletic trainer should be saying. Like, oh, I just witnessed yes. X Y Z. Yes. Which in this case they did, and he went through protocol and he cleared. Well, the referee is the one who who took him out. Yeah, but that, I mean, I would imagine that if the referee didn't say something, somebody would have. But is I don't know what I don't know what else the NFL can do. Like you said, sometimes the symptoms don't always show up right away. Yeah. I'm just going to read the, the no-go signs and symptoms rule like in the actual like rule book. Uh, if a player exhibits or reports any of the following signs or symptoms of concussion, he must, he must be removed immediately from the field of play and transported to the locker room. A player who exhibits or reports any of the following signs or symptoms shall be considered to have suffered a concussion and may not return to participation, practice, or play on the same day under any circumstances. Loss of consciousness, confusion, amnesia. I mean, confusion, like... So basically, it's like these, those, the confusion, amnesia, that's the questions. So it's basically like if you get any of their questions wrong that they're being asked, they're deemed to have confusion or amnesia and they're not being and they're not able to return to the game. So when they get asked the questions and they get all the questions right and they're deemed not to have any amnesia or confusion, they're they're cleared. And I think I mean the concussion protocol at this point is a couple of years old and I think in lieu of them going to the locker room, the blue tent now is now serves, is now as. serves as a locker room, but it enables them to come back into the game quicker. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think it speeds up the concussion protocol itself any. It just speeds up the timing of everything else because they don't have to go back in the locker room. Well, maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe by going to the locker room, it kind of sets in the time for those symptoms to maybe pop up that wouldn't have popped up two minutes later after the hit. Yeah, and thinking about it now, I think – I don't mind the blue tent. I mean, maybe maybe a lot of it is optics, but um, and a lot of stuff you can do in there is positive, but – Maybe they put in a rule where, or like like this says, like the rule is originally stated, the concussion protocol test has to be done in the locker room. It can't be done in the blue tent. Right. And I don't just from a timing perspective. Yes, exactly, exactly. So when those 
when a head-to-head hit or when a head-to-ground hit or when any um, hit that you're going to get put into concussion protocol for or get tested for a concussion for, you need to go in the locker room because it's going to take 10 minutes. Uh, I don't know. Players aren't going to like that. Maybe the teams won't like that. But like you said, the quickness of all of this is a big reason why I think um, guys are allowed to go back in games. Right. They're rushing. Rush, rushing the process a bit. I don't think they're rushing the process a bit. It's just when it's on the sideline, there, there's you don't. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen quick because you don't need to go anywhere. And the questions aren't gonna be. It's not. They're not asking them a hundred questions. They're gonna take ten minutes. It's gonna be. Well, I mean, how many questions can they ask? It's gonna be four or five questions, and you're gonna get them right, or you're yeah. gonna get them wrong. I also thought too of like, yeah, you're in a blue tent on the sideline, but like to me. There's almost like not a conflict of interest necessarily, but like you have a lot of eyes on you. Like you got a hundred thousand eyes looking at that blue tent if that's your starting quarterback going in there, right? To me, that that puts pressure on the doctors to make a decision. That puts pressure on the player to make yeah. a decision. It's like not a yeah. unbiased situation. Yeah. Despite the fact that you're covered by a tarp, you know. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that's just more evidence that maybe you should go to the locker room regardless. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think that it has a lot of positives with the tent for other other injuries. Yeah, like and and player privacy and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But the I and maybe that should be the con- maybe they shouldn't be allowed to test for concussions in that tent. Just like you said. Because it's gonna take it's gonna take two minutes, maybe five minutes to walk in the locker room. Maybe you need to have maybe they need to put in a time period. All right. Maybe you need to have a yeah, like if you you lose your helmet in college, you sit out of play, kind of thing. Like yes, if if you get pulled off the field for can't return to the series or you can't return to I would put a, t- a quarter. I would, I would put a time on it, and that then this is where it comes back to the best thing we've had all year, your site supervisor thing. Like how easy is it for him to have a stopwatch? Not even a spot stopwatch. He's got he's got a clock on him. So when that guy comes off the field because he might have a concussion, he can't have the concussion test. He can't start for ten minutes. Right. He's he needs to have he needs to go in the locker room and sit there for ten minutes before he can even be asked questions and then he can be asked his questions and then if he clears then he's then he's good to go back in the game but when they immediately come off and ask him three questions it was like uh, the Matt Moore playoff you remember the the Dolphins quarterback when he got hit by the Steeler guy last year in the playoffs no, when he got crushed um, and he was back in to play later they said well we went through the protocol and he passed. We're like really fast. It was like twenty seconds. Like it was literally a minute. He yeah. came. He missed one play. So it's like, if something like that happens, you need the ten minutes, ten minute timeout. You know, take a chill pill, dude. It's like you get. It's it's like a timeout. Yeah, but out, then you have these like when you're raging, little. you know, professional athletes who want to get back in the game because for whatever <laughs> reason, uh, they yeah, have at the time. I understand that, and it might stink, but make it the rule and that's why you need that site supervisor to be like yeah. that external be like no nah, dude like 10 minutes yeah you're not going in so because i because i think that might uh decrease some of these players who are able to return just to have symptoms later yep i think i don't know yeah no i i agree i think that's a different way that hasn't really been talked about yeah. yet about this concussion protocol is that maybe it's too fast yes let's uh, write this down we need to remember this all right uh, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> and okay, next injury is another quarterback, Marcus Mariota, quarterback for Tennessee with a knee injury. I don't know if you got a chance to look at this one, but I did. I saw it. I haven't the seen video. it. I put it in the, in the okay. links here. Um, basically, it looks like he's running once again, coming out of the pocket. 
uh, it wasn't necessarily a, it kind of was half contact, half not. He almost did like a baseball slide, but the leg when you baseball slide that gets like cross and like cr- your the the non straight the bent knee mm-hmm. instead of being bent where his foot's like under his other leg it was like out to the other side uh. so he kind of like had his knee internally rotated and kind of like had people land on uh. him that way so I I read that it was like a just a knee sprain yeah he played he finished the game he played the whole game so um, they said he's they're hopeful that they're gonna play he's gonna play again this week. Um, like you said, he's one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the league and he gets hurt always. I mean he's not a big he's not a big guy. No. He's pretty I don't want to say frail, but he's but he's wiry. Um and they, they lost yesterday at Arizona and they only scored seven points. Um so they've been a dis- somehow disappointing seven and or eight and six now. What is what is it, week fourteen? Seven and five? Eight and five. They're eight and five now. Um, so they've somehow been a disappointing eight and five team just because they don't look, they don't pass the eye test. Right. But they're still, if they win their last three games, they win the AFC South. They're going to home game in the playoffs and um, all that. So, and if the season ended today, they'd be in the playoffs. So it'll just, but he's got to stay healthy. And when he's at 100%, I think he's pretty good, but it doesn't seem like he's ever at 100% just because of how, how many hits he takes and how often he is outside the pocket and puts himself uh, open to get hit. So we'll see how, how what his status is going forward this week because they missed him for a couple games early in the year, and they're not going to win many games with Matt Castle at quarterback. All right. Uh, now we're done with the quarterback injuries. Now we got Bobby Wagner, linebacker for Seattle with a hamstring injury. Yeah, so he left the game with a hamstring. I didn't see this one, but it's very similar to – I mean, he's the – we talk about these middle linebackers. He's the Shazier, the Sean Lee, the Luke Heakley. Like these middle linebackers, when they get hurt, they're the ones with the uh, one. They make all the calls on defense. They're the defensive quarterback, so they're the one with the headsets that um, communicate with the defensive coordinator, get the play calls, move everybody around. But when these guys leave games, it's the stats is it's unbelievable. Like when Sean Lee's not playing for the Cowboys, they give up like 20 more points a game than when he is playing and like 200 more yards. It's That's ri- some freaking negotiating power right there for your next contract. Seriously, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and the same thing with Keekley. When Keekley's not not in the on defense for the for the Panthers, their defense is entirely different. And you saw if you watched the Steelers game last night, you saw how big of a difference not having Shazier in the middle of the field from a speed aspect and just knowing where to put guys and making the calls and adjusting the audibles. So, uh, and Bobby Wagner's that guy for the for the Seahawks, and he, he's uh, just an unbelievable player. Um, uh, and they, he left the game in the second half, and that game was ten uh, nothing at halftime, and he left the game in the second half, and the Jaguars scored scored thirty points. It's like you take these guys off the field, and it's just they. these defenses don't know what to do. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how serious it is and how much time he misses because they're another team that they're fighting for for a playoff spot in the NFC. Uh, They have the Rams this week, so if they win their last three games, they'll win the the NFC West. But um, they've they've been struggling a little bit with injuries, especially on defense. We've talked about with Sherman and Cam Chancellor and now now Bobby Wagner. So we'll see how it works out. Yeah. Uh, okay, now a non-injury related topic from Week 14 is uh, Seahawks versus Jaguars, a kneel down scuffle, as they say. Yeah, so this was the this 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 week's version of NFL Fight Club um, that seems to be happening every week now. But game was over. The Jaguars get, Fournette got a 
14-yard carry on like third and 12 when the Seahawks were out of timeouts on, under a minute left to ice the game. And on the first down, kneel down, the two defensive tackles for the Seahawks like dove at the knees of the center. Um, pulling the Shiano, huh? Pulling the Shiano, yeah. I was going to tell you to bring up the articles for Shiano and how he played all, uh, all that all that crap. And like yeah, every, that worked out pretty well for him. Everyone, ki- like the NFL people killed him and they call it college move, whatever. It's honestly, I understand from a coach's aspect, but it's a dirty play because not everybody does it and the offensive linemen aren't expecting yeah, it. Yeah, that's how you hurt people. And it, exactly, it's how you hurt people. So they did it and then, oh, not surprisingly, they started to fight. To me, that's like an easy thing to ban. Yes. No, it is. And I don't know if a flag is enough to stop it from happening if you really want to do it because if you think about it, the game's over anyway. I know. It's got to be like some other like a yeah. personal. Some, some sort of know. suspension yeah. or, or or something. And it's just it's a play that's taken out of the game. But that's the thing that's like the coach is telling them to do that. Like that's not like player initiated. Maybe. I would, I would, I would flip a coin. I would think sometimes the players are just pissed that they're losing. Meh. Yeah, and and they've been fighting with these guys across them all day, and they're the, now they're going to get a free shot. Um, if, if you make a rule where Seahawks start next game losing seven nothing because they tried to take out the knees of the center, hey, now you're on to something. Now, now, now people wouldn't do it, but um, it just it it started a whole fight, and then they, it went on from there. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any suspensions that um, come from that. There were a couple guys did get ejected, um, but. Wasn't like there like said, one guy like trying to fight a fan or something? So the guy, the Seahawks guy who got ejected, was leaving the field because he was ejected, and someone threw a beer bottle at him or a beer a cup of beer at him, and the animal instinct kicked in. He went. He, yeah, he I can't cheated. say I blame him. He yeah. tried. No, I can't either. But it's that's a whole different topic of discussion. Fan behavior at NFL games is a could be a full hour podcast. Yeah, I experienced. Uh, Thursday night game at Jets Bills couple or a few couple months ago, and it was yeah a scene for sure. Regardless of if it's fan versus other fans or fans yeah, versus it was, the players, it was wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, now we're gonna kind of talk about Week 13 extended uh, podcast with the Monday night game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, we put a, a poll up on Instagram. Uh, asking our followers if they thought that um, the violence in the Monday night game uh, against you know these two teams did it negatively change your opinion on football and its future? And I we had about over 50 people respond to the poll, and 53 said yes, it did change their opinion on football negatively uh, in its future, and then 47% said no. Uh, and what was interesting to me, because I got to see who said yes and who said no, and almost everyone that said yes, it changed their mind negatively, didn't really have an association with football in any way in that they didn't play, they didn't coach, they're not an athletic trainer, they're not involved with the sport other than being a spectator. Uh, and then all those who said no are all guys who like either play football currently, used to play football, coach, our athletic trainers, which I was kind of surprised about, the athletic trainers didn't think that it was you know anything out of the ordinary. Um, so, what do you think about those numbers, Josh? Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't surprised that that's the that that was the reaction of the of the mass public. And the more people that I talked to, and the more I sat back and thought about it, um, 
because at the end of the week 13 extended episode, the way that it was kind of divided was that me, the football background guy, kind of didn't think it was that big of a deal. Whereas Josh, not that you don't, you're not like, you know a lot more about football than I do, yeah. but you didn't have the experience necessarily of like playing yes. football and you were on it in the, in the, the field of. Uh, yeah. But my, my opinion was I personally didn't think it neg like it didn't negatively change my opinion on football, but it changed how I thought football was going to be viewed going forward. Gotcha. Like I thought more, I thought this, that game has, how should I say this? Bigger implications. Yes. Or? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't remember ever being a game such as that where fifty percent of people would say they disliked it or had over a negative. Over fifty. Yeah, over fifty percent. You know what I mean? I, I don't ever remember myself having a time like that. So I think I I thought the game had a negative effect on the NFL as on a in a broad scale from a fan standpoint. And you could also be onto something like by having that poll. You know, it's kind of like a little snapshot of like the public. You know. But most people in the world probably didn't play football yeah. or don't have that yeah. connection. So the majority of, you know, the NFL's fan base are people who are in that train yeah. of thought. So I, you know, could be exactly in line with what you're saying. So just personally, from talking to people throughout the course of the week, and I, I, I've, I tried to bring it up to everybody that I knew, which is watches football, um, in whatever capacity yeah, that is whether it's yeah. it's a big fan or a gambling fan or a or a casual fan um and the more people i talked to um their reactions were still split it was about 50 50 but the less i came back off the ledge a little bit personally like yeah the game was the, the game was dirty there were a lot of flags but there were two big hits if you take those two hits out of it it was just a somewhat poorly played very penalized football game where teams honestly have no respect for each other and don't like each other at all. Right. So it so it looks worse than it is. And like I mentioned in extended that those two hits to me in my mind are easily avoidable by the player. Like yes. They could have changed their target areas to kind of yeah. not even be talking about those hits. Yeah. So going so moving forward a little bit um from from the game itself, uh, the Juju Smith suspension got upheld. He missed this week's game. I told you that was going to happen. Oh, well, the next one I, I told you. Yeah, the Bengal safeties suspension got overturned. He just got fined. He was able to play this week. Um, so that was kind of the, – the the reaction to the, to the suspensions was uh, very anti-NFL from across all the media, which – uh, I was happy to hear just because and like 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 we've said, they're working off a precedent that doesn't exist. No, it exists, but it doesn't it doesn't match up with anything. I, I, I think I, I said I sent you one tweet about there was a stat that last year um Yeah, no one got suspended for helmet to helmet hits. Well I think there was one that didn't have uh that had no uh history. One there was one suspension for a helmet to helmet hit without history of previous penalties right um and this year it was like 11 people have been suspended um for for helmet to helmet hits with no prior uh fines or suspensions which is which is like they're 
I don't know. Like I said, there's there's no precedent for the suspension. We talked about this last uh, last last week. They need to they need to create some sort of new hard line, um, sort of precedent and right, like a menu. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned before we started recording that Gronk's suspension cost him how much? Two hundred and eight. Two hundred eighty. Two hundred eighty grand because that's his game check for right. this week that he's missing. Right, and then the other guys from this Monday night game was like thirty five thousand. Yeah, or so the Bengals guy got fined thirty five, which it wasn't his game check; that was just the fine he got. And Juju got fined for his suspension; his game check was twenty seven thousand dollars. So his fine for being suspended was actually less than the Bengals safety who didn't end up getting suspended. Well, I guess it kind of makes sense in terms of like you know if you punish Gronk with a twenty seven thousand dollar fine, like. To admit him, that's nothing because yeah. he still can buy a freaking Lamborghini yeah. with his yeah. <laughs> the rest of his game check. Yeah. So it's like so. I mean, that's just the way that when you're suspended, the fine is your game check. It's not really anything else. But um, it's so just transitioning back to what you said about how the player it's it's more up to the players, um, and that's kind of the biggest overwhelming thought and reaction I've seen from a lot of guys, uh, media guys. Uh, who cover the league. It's the players. It's on the players more than anything the NFL can do um, to kind of police themselves and um, be more cognizant of what they're trying to do. Um, when, but in saying that, I sent you – Mike Mitchell had a – the safety for the Steelers had a rant this week in the locker room where he was open to the media, and he went on this three-minute long rant um, – that was very the full interview is actually like six minutes long. Yeah, it was yeah. very anti NFL, very anti NFL, and he said a lot of things that players agree with. Um, but he talked he he talked he talked about if you if playing flag football and if you don't want us to hit take take our shoulders off. I, I pulled a couple of lines from it that I thought were important. And at one point he said, "This is a combat contact sport. There are going to be injuries. Um, the game has changed his family's legacy." And that this is a man's game. So he kind of goes for like, he he's a proponent for football, but he's a proponent for football, yeah. not what he thinks the NFL is trying to change football into. Yeah, uh, and it's, I think a couple of things that we'll try to wrap up just from the Monday night is, one, I think a lot of the players and coaches have a very similar feeling to they they know what they got into. This isn't a surprise. They know the risk. Um, and at the same time, um, for a lot of these players, it's changed their lives and changed their family lives for forever. And I guess like people can say, well, yeah, but what are you going to be like when you're 50? You know, or wouldn't, wouldn't you rather, would your family rather want you around when you're 60, 70, 80 and still with it? Yeah, um, but for a lot of these guys, like, who's to say they wouldn't they get into something else that would freaking yeah, kill them? Yeah. Like, or, or, or that they won't be, or that they uh, that they actually will end up being fine. Um, so, but a lot of the players are under, have that football has changed my life so much for the better from a monetary standpoint. Um, Even guys who don't make it to the NFL, yeah. you get a college, you get into a college you might not have gotten yeah. into. They, you know, you, you come out of college debt free, like that. That's life changing stuff. Yeah, and and the final, my final thought, um, which I kind of touched on, but I have just solidified my view of it even more so is. The NFL is at such a crossroads right now where, like, I think this is what I said last week, that they've been the most popular uh, sport. They've made the most money uh, in sports for the last probably 20 years. Um, but 
with this time of social media and like you said with with, with the poll I'm afraid that they're gonna going to try to go too far to try to remain the most popular sport in the world um, you mean too far by changing the game too much yes yes by, by, by changing it too much to try to please everybody whereas um, this is kind of how I put it to you if they change the rules to try to make it safer to appease the 53% of people who said yes in the poll, who are probably your more casual fans anyway, who are less likely to become diehard fans, um, you're going to drive out your diehard, more diehard fans who, in my opinion, are probably those 47 who are more associated with football are more likely to be your diehard fans. spending money on football. Yeah. yeah. You're going to push those people out because it's not the game that they want to see. So I think the NFL can – stay um can be very successful and have a game have the best product um but it might cost them being the most popular sport and you mean best as in safest product yes safest and best product um from a fan standpoint but i I think if they do that, they need to accept that they won't be the most popular sport anymore because because it's still going to be violent, um, it's still going to be dangerous, and people won't want and, and there are going to be some people who don't watch as much or invest less time and money into it. Right. Um, whereas I think if they try to appease everybody and try to keep everybody in the pot, um, they're gonna they're gonna segregate more people out. All right, and I was doing some research and sending it to you when we were kind of talking about this self-policing idea uh, by the players, and I was looking up, like, self-policing communities and, like, communities in bad areas or, like, drug deals going on, like, the stop sign down the street, like, that kind of stuff, and a lot of it has to do with, like, distrust towards police and, you know, but the way that they kind of combat that is like immersing themselves into the communities and educating the communities on like how to kind of combat these crimes that are going on around them uh, by themselves. And to me, I feel like the NFL doesn't do that. From what I see, it's like an us against them thing. And and I don't know if that'll ever change. And that's with the union and whatever. Um, But I don't think like until they come together and really try to, sort this thing out because at the end of the day it's really both their problems you know like Mm -hmm. if if the if people stop watching football it's not only bad for the nfl it's bad for the players who are trying to make money playing this dangerous game yeah you know it's going to be not as worth it for them to sacrifice out on the field um but and also from what i've i've seen you know in the research i read an article about um stock brokers in like england and how stock broke brokers kind of like started out in England and how they didn't have any government regulations or anything like that, but they kind of like ended up regulating themselves because like, that's just like the best thing for the business. Yeah. Uh, like the rules that they came up with. So, you know, it's tough when in football, it's such like a flag, happy penalty, happy game compared to like a baseball or like a basketball or hockey. So it, it's almost like inherent in the game to have all these rules and like in, in you know fines yeah. and regulations and stuff like that and like how much can you really backtrack and like give the players some leeway and be like all right like if we were just going to go out and play touch football or like f- football in the in the courtyard like what would our rules be like nothing below the belt like i don't know like you, you yeah. would come up with rules to like protect yourself that that's in the best interest of you so 
to me, I think they need to have more collaboration together as a league and players uh, to kind of come up with something that's going to work for everyone. Yeah, and this is we talked about this a little bit. The hardest part uh, that I think the, that football will have or could have with such a with a self policing thing is um, it, each team is so individualized and they're so close um, within their own teams that they have like those guys have each other's backs no matter what. And I I, I just brought up the example of Vontez Burfick. Like we've crushed him all year, but. For for as much bad shit as he's done, um, and as much as he's got fined and suspended, every single time he does something on the field that he gets suspended or fined for, um, his head coach and all of his teammates immediately come and back him up. So it's like he's the biggest example of someone who should be self-policed and kind of drawn and pushed out of the game. Right. But within his locker room, he's defended to the death. Right, but at the same time, you got the NFL cracking down on yeah. him like a freaking, you know, yes. like a prisoner. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's why they're sticking up for him. Yeah. You know, if they if he didn't have someone cracking down on him all the time, and he had his own players, like, yo, dude, like you really shouldn't be doing that. Like, come yeah. on, man. Like, it might be recept or might be received differently. Yeah. No, you're right. Maybe it's possible. <clears throat> you never know. Uh, all right, last topic of discussion before we uh, call it on this one is I, I posted on the, the traditional Heads and Tails podcast, uh, episode 106, an interview I did with the author of uh, The Big Scrum, uh, How Teddy Roosevelt Saved Football. Uh, his name is John J. Miller. And I use this book oftentimes uh, throughout my academic career on papers and stuff when I was writing about concussions. And he really talked in this book about how the sport of football evolved um, over time, like since before the 1900s, you know, late 1800s to what the game has become today. And specifically, you know, one of the main points of the book is this year, 1905. It always comes back to 1905 when 18 players died playing football and how it was at a bit of a crossroads of like, you know, you had school presidents trying to abolish the game. Um, but there were many people, fans included, who enjoyed it had from a spectator sport and Teddy Roosevelt specifically thought that it was a kind of a grounds to build men and to create like a manly man that's going to really contribute to society and be a warrior and um, stuff like that. So if you are interested in, you know, what we talked about on uh, week 13 extended uh, podcast and what we've been talking about with kind of the evolution of the game and where it needs to go. It's sometimes it's important to look at the past and see, you know, what happened then and, you know, how did we get to where we are today? So uh, I know Josh, you listened to it. What'd you, what'd you think of it um, in terms of what we've been talking about? Uh, I, I thought it was very interesting. Just like the, the, just the facts, just finding the facts. And it was funny. I was, I was listening to uh, the radio NFL radio last week and they talked about this story the Teddy Roosevelt story for like 15 minutes. One guy was talking about, he's an Ivy league. He played at Princeton, I think. So like he had a lot of familiarity with, with, yeah. the, with, with the story. They didn't mention That's where it all began yeah. because the, basically the best football teams in 1905 were all Ivy league schools because they were probably the only few teams that actually had football teams. Um, but go ahead. Like, like you said, so it was interesting to hear, hear all the facts from him and just know, uh, him obviously doing so much research and know, having so much information on it. Um, and everybody says you, you, you can learn from the past. It's just there are a lot of correlations and a lot of uh, common commonalities, you, similarities you can see um, between then and now. But the biggest thing is, and maybe it was, it's similar in the sense that 
maybe it took him a while to figure out, okay, this, this forward pass thing. Okay. He's obviously that was a new concept. So someone had to think of it. Um, and now we're thinking, okay, does football need to change? If so, how much can you change it drastically or can you just tweak it a little bit to make it safer and, um, better? Is it as, is it at as much of a crossroads as we want to make it seem or the public wants to make it seem? Um, so I, 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 I thought it was very interesting and I, this the the most thought thought provoking point of it is that there is no clear answer for today for how for how it can i think one of the questions you asked him was what would you change or do you think it needs to change or um like can you compare the two and he was in agreement with you you know john said that he thinks football is going to be less popular you know 10 yeah. years down the road yeah and, and i think it is but it's, and but it's like there is no there's no answer to how 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 can do, does football need to be fixed, and if so, how do you fix it? Right, and, and I'm kind of in that agreement with like it, it's an inherently violent game to begin with. Like it'll never be safe. Yeah, but like and John said in my interview too, he's like, there's really no activity that you can participate in that is completely 100% risk free. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you try to minimize the risk, but you need to accept some of that risk going into it. So, you know, and like Mike Mitchell said, like that's he accepts the risk and that's what he's doing. He wants to play football the way that he grew up watching, you know, since he was six years old with Deion Sanders and all those guys. Yeah. So it's, this is, and this is kind of obviously I think what we'll end up wrapping up the year with after, after the Super Bowl and after the playoffs is um, how much does football actually need to be fixed? And, does it need to be drastic or does it need to be small? Um, and is it is it as much of a crossroads as uh, we might think it is after? Right, or is it just a, a correlation of the times? Like yeah. I, in the interview with John, he talked about the progressive era and how at that point in time people were trying to abolish alcohol and all these things that are supposed to be like detrimental to society. And a small part of that was trying to abolish football because they're trying to protect everyone. Yeah. And I feel like you know, in the era of everyone gets a trophy, like, is that just, like, is this us talking about this? Is this just, like, a, an extension of the times? Or Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I think it's, and this is what I'm starting to feel more and more of, um, I think in today's society, it's half of those same progressive ideas where uh, it's you, you want people to be safe, and half of it is just the social media, Twitter, popular opinion world that we live in, that everyone wants to be on the right side of everything and condemn everything that they don't agree with and is, is, is not viewed in the right light. And violence is one of those things that is you're, you're not going to be on the, on the best side of. You know? you're, no one's going to be in favor of violence. So with Twitter and social media, everyone wants to be on the other side of, of football right now because it's a violent sport. Um, so it's one of those, like we talked about, it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies about how dangerous and how bad football is because everyone wants to come out and have that opinion because they feel it's the right opinion to have. Right. So. I think that's a good place to stop. Beautiful. See you next week. Bye, guys.